from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Actually, the very last performance that we had, I was, every, every gig I did with, with Tess, and I did hundreds of them, was, it felt like a lesson. And the very last thing we did, I was driving home, and I was thinking like, well, there's another lesson. We'd, there was this moment where things were starting to really swirl, as can happen, you know, and, and he just pulled back when I think every other drummer would have taken it right over the top. He pulled back in a moment where I was like, that was so brilliant because it was so a little bit unexpected. Yeah. It didn't make him look impressive either. It, you know what I mean? But it was the perfect artful move to do. In it that served time. the song. It served the song perfectly. It didn't serve him. And I think that was, that was the lesson. Being without ego doesn't mean being without swagger by any sense of the imagination, but he served the music first and foremost. I'm Sarah Fenske. This month, St. Louis's music scene lost a true luminary. Montez Coleman grew up in East St. Louis and became a big deal jazz drummer who played with all the greats. That includes Wynton Marsalis, Russell Malone, and Roy Hargrove. Just listen to his drums in his 2008 hit with Hargrove, Strasbourg St. Denis. And that is the great drummer Montez Coleman there playing with Roy Hargrove in the hit Strasbourg Saint-Denis. And after years in New York City, Montez Coleman moved back to St. Louis in 2013. While he kept up a brisk touring schedule, he was also a regular in jazz joints around town. Montez Coleman died January 14th at Barnes Jewish Hospital. The cause was congestive heart failure. He was just 48 years old. And joining us now with more on his life and his legacy is a local musician who knew him well. Adam Manis is a pianist best known for the Adam Manis Trio. Montez Coleman was the trio's drummer. Adam, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Sarah, for having me. And I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. This must really hurt. This is really tough. It's a really tough loss, uh, not just for me personally, but I think for our entire community, and not even just our musical community, for our entire cultural community here in St. Louis. Uh, even if you've never heard Montez's name, he had such a huge imp- impact on likely all of the live music you've heard around here because his impact on the musicians in our scene is so deep. So what made him such a such a respected and admired drummer for those of us coming from outside of jazz? What what made him so good? So the a lot that's a big question. A lot of things. So technically, he could of course do whatever he wanted. He was a he was a master. 
technically, but really what set him apart and what his lesson and legacy, I think, for other musicians was and, and will remain was his presence. Mm. And there was no difference between his presence on the stage or off the stage. Like every room he walked into, you always felt seen by Montez. And every stage you were on uh, was tilted towards Montez. Like it just, everybody was just right in there with him and he was with you. And so whatever you were doing, he he would just do just a beautiful accompaniment to that, like the perfect thing. You were just playing the Strasbourg uh, Saint-Denis there, and which is, it's a big hit for, for a jazz musician. It's sure. I was actually just thinking as you were playing that, the last time I heard that live was just down the street at the Kranzberg Arts Center at a jazz jam session where a bunch of kids played the tune as a jam tune, which I don't know, Sarah, if you know, that's a big deal. They don't usually play tunes that are not 60 or 70 years old at those jazz jam sessions. Yeah. So for a tune from 2008 to make it onto the jam session roster, it was amazing. But what was so special about especially that performance is if you were to listen longer and longer, you would hear him interacting with the pianist Gerald Clayton and then with Roy Hargrove, the trumpeter, in a way that was truly present. And with every single second and note and breath they took, he would be there with you. And it's a skill that is not just a musical skill. That is a personal skill that uh, there's a blurred line between him as a friend and as a bandmate, you know? Did you feel that same presence just in your interactions, just talking with him? He was just there. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, the, the, <laughs> the mantra that's been going around from his friends and colleagues is Montez was the realest person we all knew. He couldn't, you know, if, if you got off the stage, he wasn't going to be like, sounds great. And not me. I mean, he would say that, but he would only if he meant it. If you didn't sound great, he would also let you know that. In a but in a very loving way to the music, it wasn't. He wasn't trying to make you feel bad. Yeah. He just couldn't. Some people uh, won't suffer fools. Montez couldn't suffer fools. Like he just couldn't physically do it. He cared. He, he, he wanted things to be right. Totally. He couldn't lie about, especially the music, and uh, he would never do that. And. And so, yeah, there was no difference between that on stage either. You could tell if something wasn't right, he would, like, give you a little side eye, like, no, that's not right. And if it was brilliant, like, if if things were popping in a way that can only really happen, I think, with live black American music, his, like, he would just light up. And, And the whole room, not just the stage, but everybody in the audience would light up too. And I think everybody who's been... To see him at like Jazz St. Louis or the Sheldon or anywhere where he played knows exactly what I'm talking about. You can all see Montez. You can see Tez smiling on the drums when things are going well. So uh, it's it's hard to talk about this guy in the past tense because he just he sounds I, so amazing. It doesn't even seem real actually for yeah. for his friends. And it's he was just, so young. He was so young, and he had he was the kind of person that had such a huge life. Like he was just so big in his presence that it just seems strange that he's not that he's not here with us anymore, you know. And he was young. He was 48. I mean, yeah, I mean, you just don't expect that. I thought that we would be playing together until we were very, very old men. And it's, I, I think a lot of people feel that way, too, that you just, you know, you take for granted that we're not all guaranteed to live until our 80s. And, and we lose these artists here that are so brilliant. Um, it's a real shame. So it's not just Adam Manis who sings the praises of Montez Coleman. Um, Our producer, Evie Hemphill, recently spoke with Gene Dobbs-Bradford. He was until recently the president and CEO of Jazz St. Louis. And he told us that Montez was an exceptional musician. His timing was impeccable. He always 
found great grooves, but he was also really supportive of the other people. Whenever um, he'd have Montez playing behind you, he was always very sensitive to what you were doing and could always help you to 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 find that thing that'll take it just a, that'll take it just a little bit more over the top, you know. And Gene Dobbs Bradford added that Tez was someone who just seemed to be, quote, without ego. He just genuinely enjoyed playing. I mean, I remember the first thing that that would catch you when you would see Montez playing was the smile that he had. And that was the way he was. He was just a, a beautiful human being and a great musician. And that, again, is Gene Dobbs Bradford. That idea of somebody being without ego, it seems like somebody who's good at music, I frankly associate that with a lot of ego, and they're going to have their moment, and they want to do it their way. It sounds like that is not what he brought to the table. Well, that being without ego doesn't mean being without swagger by any sense of the imagination, but he served the music first and foremost. And uh, that means that you would put you know, your yourself aside for, for the music, for whatever was happening in the moment. And I mean, this is someone who could play whatever he wanted to, whatever he could hear, he could play, but he would often just pull back and save it for just the right moment. Actually, the very last performance that we had, I was every, every gig I did with, with Tess and I did hundreds of them was, it felt like a lesson. And the very last thing we did, I was driving home and I was thinking like, well, there's another lesson. We there was this moment where things were starting to really swirl as can happen, you know, and, and he just pulled back when I think every other drummer would have taken it right over the top. He pulled back in a moment where I was like, that was so brilliant because it was so a little bit unexpected. Yeah. It didn't make him look impressive either. It, you know what I mean? But it was the perfect artful move to do. In it that served time. the song. It served the song perfectly. It didn't serve him. And I think that was, that was the lesson. That's what Gene is talking about. He means, you know, uh, no ego. It's that he, he really was in it for the right reasons for the music itself. And you say you were learning these things from him even up until the very end. How long did you guys play together? I met Montez when I was 16 and he was 21 up on Jefferson at a club called Sprules. He was in Willie Aiken's band. I was going to join that band a couple years later. And uh, so that's when we first met. And then I think when I, I eventually joined Willie's band, he like my first gig with Willie's was his last gig with Willie. And then he moved to New York. <laughs> And we had known each other on and off uh, over the years. We actually recorded together a couple times. And then it wasn't really till he moved back that we got really close and started playing with Bob DeBoo, our bassist. Um, and so uh, from really 2016 on, we were inseparable. I mean, mm-hmm. we were like a real a unit together and did a lot of supporting of other artists together, made our own music together, all on our, our own different names, but it was just the three of us <laughs> a lot of the times. And uh, just a real brotherhood in that regard. But I met, I remember the very first time I met him at Sprules. He was playing with Willie Akins. I was too scared to talk to him because he was so, he was the best drummer I'd ever seen. Yeah. Ever. And he was just a kid still. And I remember I couldn't, I couldn't speak to him. I was so nervous. But the person I was with said, uh, you're going to move to New York soon. What are you doing for that? And he's like, I'm practicing every day, all day. And I just, to me, like as a kid, I thought like, oh, you practice and you get good and then you don't have to practice anymore. And I realized like, this is the best player I've ever seen. And he has this work ethic that's like unbelievable, you know, that he's still working and trying to get better. And again, that's the same egoless thing that Gene was talking about, serving the music, 
you know, serving that greater purpose. So. so you mentioned Bob Javu, who's the third member of this trio, and he was uh, going to join us today. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to, but we do have a couple comments from him uh, that he gave to us ahead of time. He, again, is the bassist with the Adam Manis trio. He told us this about Montez Coleman. We all called him Tez. He would call me Booski. I want people to know just the joy that that he brought to every situation, and not just while we were playing music, but also off the bandstand. Mm. He was just, like, legendary funny. Uh, oftentimes inappropriate, but really, really, really funny. That is Bob Dubu. We've been talking about him almost as if he's a saint, which is, is sometimes we're inclined to do when people are gone. Sounds like he could also be a blast. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, your producer asked us for some anecdotes and stories, and Bob and I were just on a massive text thread about, like, okay, what can we say? Um, KW, I don't know if we can say most of the good ones. But in a beautiful, I mean, really, really, one of one of everybody's favorite people. Like, one of the things that I'm struck with uh, since he passed is that, you know, as someone who was really close to him and spent a lot of time with him, I felt like I had this special connection with him. But I've met now acquaintances that say, like, oh, yeah, I, I, I spent probably eight hours with him and he changed my life. Wow. Like, he just was this really connective person. And I think that's what... Our city is going to miss so much. Is this someone that maybe your listeners haven't heard of but has had an impact on uh, our culture here in this town, a, a really large impact in his connective tissue to all of the, uh, the musicians around here? It's, it's something that I think his legacy will be, will be that connecting people together. So I want to play another piece that he was involved in. This is a track from the Adam Manis Trio, a 2019 record, Constant Craving. This is a reimagination of Outkast's Hey Ya. Hey, yeah, by the Adam Manis Trio. You can really hear those drums in there. It's got to be kind of hard to hear this song right now. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's hard to think that we won't get to just live in that glorious groove that Montez had at all times, you know, and that we won't get to, you know, make new recordings with him and play new concerts with him. It's devastating, actually. So we heard from Ethel, uh, who writes on Twitter, Montez is my nephew. I watched him grow up playing drums in his father's church at the age of five. This barrier breaker touched lives worldwide. I'm hopeful that support is initiated to sustain his memory by having a center in his name to create opportunities for other youth. That sounds like a great idea. Are you aware of any plans underway to try to do something concrete uh, for that legacy? No, but I'll tell you what, there's, I, I, I hope that there are. And there's actually a ton of musicians who are from our area that don't have even a statue or a plaque that really 
need one here in our city that are part of our cultural fabric that we don't celebrate enough. And mm-hmm. I think it would really change a lot of kids' lives to see that people that uh, that come from East St. Louis or from St. Louis that are doing amazing world-class things uh, in in different mediums uh, are, are coming are, are from the same place that they come from. And and I hope Tez gets his due with something concrete. That would be great. And, and by the way, shout out to – he's got an amazing, amazing family, mm-hmm. uh, not just a musical family, but uh, a huge family that happens to be a lot of musicians as well. <laughs> that maybe runs in family, that kind of talent, that caliber. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's an incredibly musical family, a beautiful family, a very loving family. They had a, a gorgeous service for Montez on Monday. And and, uh, yeah, just thinking about them right now, too. Yeah, so our, our thoughts are with them. Boy, we've heard from so many people, um, not just Gene Dobbs-Bradford, not just Bob Deboe, so many people saying just how much Montez meant to them as a person, how much he meant to them as a musician. It's just so devastating to think about that loss, him not being here. You're a trio. Uh, we just have just a tiny bit of time here. Is this trio going to go on? Uh, no, not like this. Yeah. I don't know what I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm not even worried about that right yeah. now. I'm not even thinking about that. Uh, but no, th- this trio was was for the three of us, and so uh, I don't know if it makes sense to plug. I don't know if we could plug anybody else in for that. So. Uh, you know, that's that's how that is. Um, that's the least of my concerns yeah. right now, you know. Well, Adam Manis, thank you so much for joining us and, and just sharing about Montez Coleman. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you for, for uh, spreading the word about Tez. We want to go out of the show with just a little more of Montez Coleman on the drums. This is Strasbourg Saint-Denis. This episode was produced by Evie Hempel with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.